It is Statement Saturday in the Pac-12. Out West, we've got a number of crucial matchups in Conference of Champions, Garrett. We're excited to break it all down right here on the 3 Techs Week 7 Preview. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Welcome in, everybody. Glad to have you back with us for another episode of The Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes. Myself, Mitch Mason, Garrett Turney riding with you tonight. Uh, Trey headed out to the East Coast. A little, I think it's a little r and I don't remember if it's a true vacation or a business trip, but uh, he will get some much-needed time away from the podcast. So, Garrett, um, you know, when, when Dad's away, the inmates will play, and uh, we've got a bunch of specifically Pac-12 games to break down this week. It, it really feels like we are going to have so much clarity over who's a conference contender, who's a playoff contender this week. Again, like I said, specifically out West. Yeah, we're about to, uh, you know, split the wheat from the chaff, as it were. Uh, going to be some, I think, some really good teams playing each other, but it's about to be, you know, like shut up time for a couple of these teams. And, you know, it's, it's you know, there's all sorts of talking that happens. And then we, you know, start to get in the meat of our schedule and maybe there's an early loss and you can forgive it, but then we come back around to it and you say, nope, at this point in time, you got to get it done. And so, you know, it's, it's for some of these teams, it's just about elimination time. For some of these teams, it's, you know, you know, take a big step back and, you know, start to start to wonder where your season goes from here. And for a few of these teams, it's about to be fast track time. It's about to be, hey, we're about to be on the fast track where we only got to win one more game to, you know, really feel comfortable making our championship game, really feel comfortable making the playoff. And you know, I'm, I'm excited to watch a lot of this. When the when the stakes get high, that's when football gets fun. I'm very excited for this week. And a lot of primetime matchups, afternoon and evening slates are incredible. So if you have to go anywhere, maybe do it in the morning. That way you can roll up to your couch. Just enjoy all the ranked matchups going on. Uh, of course, before we get into it, have to let you know about our friends over at the Transfer Portal CFB. They do tremendous work. Uh, independent media has truly become kind of the future of college football, and the Transfer Portal CFB is right there at the forefront of it. We are thrilled to be partnered with them, have been for several months, and will continue to drive that bus forward. Of course, you can find all of their stuff powered by No Context College Football, maybe the hottest college football account in, in, in all the land. Uh, you can find articles, previews, analysis, and their own podcast over on their website, transferportalcfb.com. Also, shout out to our friends over at Homefield Apparel. You guys continue to let us know how much you love the shirts, the logos. They are just undefeated when it comes to college football fandom. Have the most interesting shirt at your tailgate. I guarantee if you head on over to homefieldapparel.com, use our code 3TECHPOD for 15% off order, you will be the the statement maker. Uh, no matter who's playing on TV, no matter what watch party you're at, you will have the most interesting apparel on 3TECHPOD. 
is uh, our code, like I mentioned, to get 15% off. Jared, I, let's let's dive right into it, my friend. I mean, we've got our big three for this week. All three have a Pac-12 flair. We've got Washington and Oregon, Oregon State and UCLA, and Notre Dame and USC. All uh, five of these Pac-12 teams at one point or another consider themselves contenders for the Pac-12 championship game. All five are ranked inside the top 20. My overarching question is, do you expect Chalk to ride this week, or is this a weekend where really we should kind of be expecting the unexpected? Uh, I think, and this may be, you know, giving away a couple of my cards, but I think that it's, you know, there's going to be some unexpected turnouts in this game. I think there's going to be some um, unexpected results and some things that happen that we're not exactly expecting at this moment. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that when we break these games down, but it's it's going to be interesting. And, I'm, you know, a lot of these games are right there on that line where, you know, you get the two and a half because you're the home team. But, you know, there's a couple of these games where I say it could go either way. And, you know, it, it, I think that there's some real opportunities to make a name for yourself in these games. Well, let's get right into it. Let's start with our featured game of the week. Number seven, Washington hosting number eight, Oregon. This is the 330 kick on Fox. Washington, a two and a half point favorite heading into this game. And if you are one that follows stats of war, if you're one that follows a, a number of statistical projections, you may raise your eyebrow at this line. Washington being favored, Oregon is better in almost every single statistical category, including running the football. That is one of the biggest delineators of success that the Ducks have had this season, rushing the football, stopping the air attack. And yet the Huskies are favored by two and a half. Garrett, what are you watching for in this game? Well, I think, you know, you kind of tease it a little bit. First thing I'm looking at is the ground game because, look, we're going to go very simple both teams have great quarterbacks, right? Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, fantastic quarterbacks. Both of them are going to play in the NFL next year. Congratulations, right? Both these teams have talent across the board. Obviously, the Washington wide receivers, you've been extremely high on. Um, I, you know, I'm not necessarily not high on them, but I think, you know, little bit of respect needing to go towards Oregon as well. Guys like Troy Franklin, Tess Johnson, like legitimately awesome playmakers. And I think that it's, you know, going to be interesting to watch this game on the ground because that's where you're going to have to make your bread and butter. There's going to be lots of great coverage. There's talent across the field. But at the end of the day, you win games in the trenches. You're going to have to win games on the line of scrimmage. You're going to have to be able to assert your will. And some of these guys are just going to have to make plays. Um, and I think, in my opinion right now, I think Bucky Irving's probably best back in this game for Oregon. Um, I think he's going to do a great job, does a really good job out the backfield as well, has over 100 yards receiving 7.6 average on the season. I, I, you know, maybe tipping my hand a little bit here, um, but I'm really high on Oregon in this game. You know, the the stats, you know, you're. I know that you've been high on Washington. I know we've been a pro Washington podcast, but the stats, I think, really line up well for Oregon on this one. I know you play games on the field. But you can't ignore the stuff that you are seeing on paper. This is a really, really complete Oregon team um, that's going to be going up against an, a massively explosive offense in Washington. Um, but I think Oregon's ability to control the ball, control the clock a little bit with that run game uh, and, and a strong offensive line should lend a little bit in their favor as they go into this game. I, yeah, I hear you. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to see 
two units that we've been hyping up since the offseason. It's the Washington pass rush against the Oregon offensive line. When Oregon struggled before Dan Lanning and, and even in that first game against Georgia a season ago, that offensive line couldn't find their their tail, right? I mean, they were running around. They were giving up sacks, giving up pressure. This is a unit that has improved quite substantially. Now, for Washington, their pass rush has been something that has also flown under the radar. It's a very, very solid unit. Oregon certainly has the edge as far as stopping the run, defensive line versus defensive line. Washington has not really been able to have any success stopping the run. But in the secondary, that's where they've made their mark. They've held teams from throwing the football around, and then they're just bludgeoning them through the air, right? For me in this game, you know, we've got the X's and O's highlighted, the pass rush from Washington versus the Oregon offensive line. How does Washington disrupt Bo Nix? Because Nix and Oregon have the second best scoring offense. Washington and Penix have the third best scoring offense. So both of these teams absolutely as elite as it comes. I'm so, so curious to see how the quarterback battle transpires. And then the other area that I'm looking at, you know, uh, Liam Blutman, who runs No Context College Football, tweeted us uh, in response to this episode asking who we expect to have a breakout performance, a a performance that we're really confident in. To me, big-time players step up in big-time games and make big-time plays. I think Roman Dunze, who is my Bolitnikoff pick before the season, got a lot of hate from that uh, in the offseason. I think he has a statement game. I think this is a statement game for the Washington Huskies. They find a way to win at home against the best opponent on their schedule. And I think Washington minus the two and a half is the play this week. Roma Dunze goes for over 100 yards. He has two touchdowns in this one. I like the Huskies. I know statistically a lot of folks are going to back Oregon here. The line is minus two and a half for a reason. There's a reason I think that Vegas has Washington as the favorite. I'm going to trust in it. I've been pro Washington all season long. I'm going to ride with the Huskies in the biggest game. Yeah, I'm I'm taking Oregon plus the two and a half, and I am going to actually take them to win this one. I, I said a couple weeks ago after watching them play that I think they're one of the best teams in the country, and I'm going to go ahead and stick with that. You know, I, it's going to be yet to be seen if that's actually true or not, right? Both of these teams, I think, are playing the best team on their schedule this week, um, and I, I don't think that that can really be debated too much. I think the thing that I'm leaning on is, and again, it still feels so bizarre to say this, but Bo Nix is as dependable as they come in the game right now. 80% completions. He's got 15 touchdowns to one interception all year. And then their ability to run the ball on the ground, maybe, you know, take the, take the air out of the you know venue a little bit. One of the big things you want to do when you go on the road is run the ball, right? Take the other team out of it. Take the other crowd out of it. It's not going to be an easy task because I know those Washington fans are going to be crazy, but if you can run the ball effectively, maybe lead some long drives, cap them off with some scoring. I'm going to pick Oregon to win this one. I do think this game probably goes under the point spread. I think it was like 67 as the point spread. I don't think that they hit that. These are two prolific offenses, but I think it'll be a game of efficiency and more of a who holds the ball last. I think Oregon comes out on top this week. It's going to be Oregon plus two and a half, and I'm going to go ahead and pick them to win this one. I'm, I tell you what, I'm I'm really... I mentioned it off the top. 
if Washington can win the battle in the trenches, now they only have six sacks this season, but their pressure rate, I believe, is is much higher than that. They just haven't gotten the quarterback on the ground. They're going to have to get Bo Nix on the ground, right? You can't just flush him out, affect his timing, and make him throw off, off schedule because we've seen Bo get better at doing that. That used to be the the end of all things when he was at Auburn. He's improved as a quarterback. He's taken that step forward. Washington is going to have to get him on the ground. They're going to have to get Oregon behind the chains, get them in a predictable play-calling rhythm because, like you mentioned, Bucky uh, Richardson is, is an electric back, right? If Oregon can run the football and make Washington have to commit to stop that, that's the path to victory for Oregon, in my opinion. Bring the defense up and then throw it over the top, right? I've just got a feeling. Bucky Irving. Uh, Bucky Irving, not Bucky Bucky, Irving. My my apologies. Uh, I've just got a feeling. I've just got a feeling Washington finds a way to get it done. Now, we did get a question. Uh, Does the loser of this game get eliminated from playoff contention? Uh, My my gut reaction is absolutely not. Now, you need some things to go go your way. You need to find a way to get into the Pac-12 championship game, but... Uh, a, a top 10 loss, especially if you're competitive, should in no way eliminate you. I, I wouldn't think. It, it really shouldn't, but I'm going to go ahead and say it does just because there's so much disrespect for the football that happens out there on the West Coast. And, you know, maybe for good reason because of some previous years, right? There's some previous years where maybe, you know, the Pac-12 hasn't always put the best product on the field. But in the last couple of years, they put some really, really, really good teams out and I don't think that the, either of these teams should be discounted. Now, are they going to get the leeway if, you know, let's say, you know, Alabama runs the rest of the table and is like the feel-good comeback story? I don't even know how you could say that about Alabama. But, you know, if it's, you know, an undefeated Georgia plus or a one-loss Georgia and then a one-loss SEC champ Bama or something like that, could that be a possibility? Yeah, I guess you could see something like that being the case. Is it more than likely that it's going to be Ohio State and Michigan or like Michigan and Penn State or someone like that ending up in the playoff? Yeah, probably. But if there is, you know, a situation where you get two teams from the same conference, I could put up an argument for both of these two teams being the deserving two that get in from a conference. Sure. Uh, One last note on this battle of two elite offensive lines. I've talked about Oregon. They've only allowed three sacks this season. Washington's offensive line has done the exact same. They've only allowed three sacks of Michael Penix Jr. as well. Also a point in favor of Washington. They're an elite unit at defending the pass, uh, batting batting passes down. Giving up yards, uh, has they're, they're actually one of the, the middle-ranked passing mm-hmm. defenses, right? Um, but when it comes to allowing those teams to score, to hurt them through the air, one of the best teams in the country – uh, and, and Bobby Wilson, one of our friends uh, from the TNT College Football Podcast, mentioned that in his question to us, basically just asking like what we thought of the Washington defense this week. They've played better than I think people give them credit for it. They've flown very, very under the radar. And yet they're at home and they're favored. Yep. And I'm going to lean into that. And we'll go with uh, Washington. Definitely have slept on defense. I don't think quite as good as Oregon's. Oregon does have the fifth-ranked scoring defense. They give up a whole touchdown less than Washington does in this one. So not saying that Washington has a poor defense, but Washington's only given up like 18 points a game right now. But Oregon, definitely, I think, the more special unit on the field. It should be a lot of fun. It's going to be two really, really good teams going against each other. 
if if Oregon wins this game or whoever wins this game, should they immediately be a top four team based on this win? Hundred percent, top four, maybe top three, just depending because. You know, with Texas falling out at that point, you know, because they had the big win over Alabama, now it's Oklahoma who's kind of taken over that front spot in the Big 12. I don't know who else you're supposed to say is, I think, a top three. It should be, you know, Michigan, then Georgia, or Georgia, then Michigan. That's, you know, maybe debatable at the top. And then number three has to be the winner of this game. I think Florida State's looked really, really good, but they've also had a few moments where they've slipped up. I'd probably slot them at number four right now, and I'd put the winner of this game at number three. There you go. Again, that's Fox, the 3.30 window. Uh, let's go to the nightcap over on Fox, and you can find number 15, Oregon State, hosting number 18, UCLA. This is a 7 o'clock game on Fox, so a Pac-12 extravaganza all day Saturday afternoon. Oregon State, four-point favorites against the Bruins. Uh, UCLA coming in, in after a top 15 win, hosting Washington State a week ago. I just... Felt like something in that line smelled funny. Everything told me take Washington State except for that line. And sure enough, UCLA was able to pull off an upset victory. Uh, To me, this is going to be a battle between what Dante Moore can do against a very solid Oregon State pass defense. And for Oregon State, they don't throw the ball a lot anyway. What can DJU do to balance out that team, balance out that offense, and what can Damian Martinez, the electric running back for Oregon State, do knowing that UCLA is going to dare the Beavers to throw? Uh, what's kind of your X factor in this game, and in which way are you leaning up in Corvallis? So my X factor in this game is going to come down to the defenses because I think that this is a really interesting quarterback matchup. You look at, you know, for example, Oregon State side. They got DJU, and DJU has been – an up-and-down roller coaster through his college career, but we all know he's talented. He's playing well. He's not necessarily playing at an elite level, but he's playing well. He's got 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's completing 60% of his passes. That'll get it done. You look on the other side, Dante Moore, I think, has a massive ceiling, but it's just at the very beginning of his developmental process. right? He's he's hasn't seen a whole lot. He's thrown a couple pick sixes. He's super green. And let me tell you, this kid is getting baptized by fire right now yeah. out there on the West Coast. This kid, he, he, is, he is getting it. Now, that's going to make him better long term. But the question is, how quick can he get how good, right? They they both have great running backs, Damian Martinez and Carson Steele, like great running backs in the backfield uh, coming out. And, and so I'm excited to watch that matchup. But I think this just comes down to which defense can play better. I think if you're UCLA, you've got the top 10 scoring defense. You've got a top 10 pass defense. You, your defense has played amazing all year. And that's against some really good offenses. And so I, I think that you have to look at this and say, you've got a really, really, really good defense, but you're playing experience. You're playing a guy who's seen stuff. He, he's been there. He's done that. And even though he didn't have all that much success with Clemson, he still played in some big games and won in some big moments. Flip side, if you're Oregon State, your defense has played well, though maybe not as well as UCLA's, but you're playing this kid who, if he if it clicks, this guy could torch you. This guy could light you up. Dante Moore has that in him somewhere. We just got to find it. So for me, this is going to be the interesting matchup. Um, and that, you know, I'm not 100% sure where I lean with this one, but if I had to guess, and this comes down to my pick for it, I'm going to lean with Oregon State in this one. I'm going to pick Oregon State to go ahead and win this game. I just think I trust DJU more at this point, right? He's got the experience. He's going to be able to do things. Both teams have really good defenses. 
But if you're asking me who's going to manage the game better and not make mistakes and who's going to you know, have more opportunities to hand it off to their talented running backs that we have on this graphic right here, who's going to get the more opportunities to do that? I think it's going to be DJU. And so I'm going to pick Oregon State against the transitive property. All right, we're going to pick Oregon State to win this one uh, and cover the, the four points. If UCLA was at home, I think it falls into the model that it did a week ago, right? Where I take the better defense yeah. at home, but they're not. They're on the road. The last time we saw Dante Moore on the road against another elite defense, he threw pick six on the first play of the game and yep. could get absolutely nothing going, right? Oregon State, if you're going to beat them, has to be through the air. They don't have a bad passing defense at all. It's 74th in the country, uh, but just giving up a little over 225 yards per game. So if you just look at ranking, you're sorely mis mis underestimating this defense, I'll say. Rush defense, though, they're one of the most elite teams in the country. They've just given up 577 yards rushing the entire season so far. That's good for a 30th total defense. UCLA can one-up them. They're the fifth-ranked total defense. But again, you have to score points, especially up in Corvallis, to beat Oregon State. I trust Damian Martinez. I trust the experience of DJU at home. Jonathan Smith gets another statement victory. And the Beavers march towards dangerously close towards the top 10 ranking. I'll take Oregon State as well. We're both riding with the Beavs this week. Final game, and it's inaccessible to some of you. It's not on a network TV. If you want to watch number 21 Notre Dame and number 10 USC, you have to go get Peacock. So if you don't have a subscription, I'm sorry. You're out of luck. Maybe I guess get a free trial. 6.30 p.m. over on the cock. First of all, before we get into the game, how stupid is this that you have elite primetime games? I know Ohio State's in this boat as well, hidden behind paywalls. The Pac-12 network has been one thing, but oftentimes the ranked matchups haven't been hidden on their obscure network. These are top 20 matchups that we're seeing housed behind a paywall, and it's got a lot of people very, very angry. Look, I have a Peacock subscription. I like watching The Office and Parks and Rec and Modern Family. And sometimes I get a good football game on there. This week, I get a great football game with my Peacock subscription. So that is paying for itself this month. Congratulations, me. But it's, man, it just feels wrong, right? This feels like it should be the NBC game of the night, that there shouldn't be anything else going. Right? It's Notre Dame, right? You play Notre Dame on NBC. That's been the case for... You know, as long as and I know that Peacock's owned by NBC and so that's a whole thing. But I just man, I don't know. This just feels wrong. I don't like this. Um, and so we'll we'll talk about the game. But, you know, it's 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 just weird to put games on streaming services like this. If we're going to go to that model, let's just commit to it. Right. Let's just commit to going to that model. Let's not dip our toes in like this. I wonder if I wonder if they'll put it on NBC. Um, I guess that's a possibility as of. As of this recording, it's it's on the Peacock. Um, when I looked it up, that's that's where it is scheduled. So maybe that yep. changes. I, I don't know. Um, maybe it gets put over on NBC, uh. but it, it absolutely should be um, if it doesn't. Uh, two and a half point favorites are the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They've been eliminated from playoff contention, right? Mm -hmm. Two losses already coming off a frustrating loss to Louisville a week ago. And yet they're the favorites here against USC. 
Jared, the only reason I can think that this would be the case is because USC has not looked all that impressive against inferior opponents over the last couple of weeks. And oh, by the way, Alex Grinch is your defensive coordinator still. Those two things are not coincidences, right? It's because of Alex Grinch that you haven't looked all that impressive against, you know, Arizona, for example. Stayed up to watch that one. That was insane. And by the way, almost announcer jinx on that one with Osweiler and all them talking about the game as if it was over while we were still waiting for that field goal that eventually got blocked. That was horrible. Like I said it in my brain, I'm like, wow, you're really going to act like this field goal couldn't get blocked or there couldn't be a bad snap. Then all of a sudden, it's sailing over the place kicker's head and he has to jump up to grab it. So, uh, yeah, interesting end of the game last week for USC. But this is really what it comes down to, right? The the USC Trojans have the number one offense by a pretty decent margin. It's 51 points per game scoring. And they have the 80th ranked scoring defense. They're giving up 27 points a game. That's fine if you can score 51. But when your offense gets out of a rhythm, when you sit on the sidelines for a while, I think you've kind of seen the formula, right? It's ball control offense. It's just keep the ball on the ground, try to put together some drives, and just get you know Caleb Williams off the field. Don't let him sit on the field. Let, let him sit on the sidelines. And if you can do that, you have a much better chance at winning any of these games against the Trojans. You know, Notre Dame has looked a little flat the last few weeks when it comes to their offense. They, they haven't really put up a good offensive performance in a while, it seems like. And I know they've been playing some good defenses, but – Maybe it's just because Louisville's better than we thought they were and Duke's better than we thought they were. And, you know, maybe Ohio State's one of those elite defenses too, but they just really haven't put up a good offensive number in a little while. And, you know, you do that, that starts to weigh on your psyche a little bit. This this could go the way of, you know, oh, we're just going to kind of keep, you know, muddling around and not really doing anything and we're just still out of a groove. But this could also be a net crack, right? This could just be an absolute time to get back on track where, you know, we have the talent. We have the balance on offense. We're just going to, you know, go out there, get back to work, you know, and, and and do what we have to do to win. That's what I think ends up happening in this one. I did pick Notre Dame or uh, no, sorry. I picked Notre Dame to win, but I'm picking USC to cover this with the two and a half. I don't feel confident enough in their ability to pull away. I do think they get back on track offensively, but Caleb Williams cannot be disrespected. You, you can't disrespect what Caleb Williams is. Um, and and at the end of the day, I just think you have to acknowledge that he's still going to score some points. I think they lose this one close. I think this is one of those Notre Dame makes a play at the end while they're driving to go get a field goal type of things. Um, that This is what this game feels like to me. Pretty high scoring game. Um, and, and I'm going to pick Notre Dame to win, but USC to cover. So I went and checked and it is now going to be on NBC. I don't know if, if uh, if ESPN just goofed earlier in the week when I made the show doc. Um, no, it, it was Peacock for a little while earlier. You're right about that. So now it is on NBC, which is a huge, a huge relief. So I guess scratch, scratch the first yeah, 30 seconds. The of this. Part, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you don't have to, you don't have to worry if you don't have access to <laughs> Peacock on your phone like me uh, that night, I'll be at a wedding. So I won't be able to watch it from Peacock, uh, but maybe, I don't know, maybe I can get a score update or something. Thank goodness it's on B- on NBC. That was going to be absolutely atrocious. I know oh, yeah. Ohio State's game is only on Peacock, which is, is its own its own separate issue. That's a whole uh, issue. Let me tell you, and, and Garrett, this is a good place probably to drop a marker. Let me tell you why I think Notre Dame wins this game. 
For me, the X factors, the battle that I'm most interested in watching is Notre Dame's wide receivers, noticeably flat, as you've talked about the last couple weeks. Uh, Sam Hartman has not thrown the ball as effectively as we saw in the first three, four weeks of the season. Notre Dame's wide receivers versus USC's ability to disguise coverage. USC has a lot of young players, a lot of young talent on that secondary, and their defense hasn't done anything well this season, right? They've struggled up and down the field. They let Colorado back in. They gave up a billion yards to Shadur Sanders and company, who then barely beat Arizona State. So for me, what can Sam Hartman and a limited supply of weapons out wide do against a defense that's coached by Alex Grinch, the man who cannot make adjustments, cannot seem to come up with a quality game plan that he actually executes en route to a comfortable victory over a ranked opponent. That's what I'm most concerned about for USC. On the other side, Notre Dame's defense, yes, has looked flat. Last week did not look great against Louisville. But this is going to be an angry fighting Irish team, and they're at home in prime time. I'm more inclined that this defense that we're going to see from Notre Dame on Saturday night is the same defense we saw against Ohio State, who is coming into its own, who has flexed its muscle. I'm more inclined to believe that's the fighting Irish that we get. And frankly, at the end of the day, this comes down to gut check for my pick. Do I believe that USC on the road under the lights can get a stop when they need it most, can get the offense to put up points against an excellent defense when they need it most? I don't. Simply put, I don't believe in this Trojans team. They've got a ton of issues that they've got to solve. They're one of the best half times maybe of our gener- or half teams of our generation, and I feel like USC is going to fall short. Their schedule gets so difficult over the next four or five weeks I think you're going to see USC drop multiple games, and I think it starts Saturday night in South Bend, Indiana. I'll take Notre Dame minus the points. I think they win by three to to a touchdown. Uh, This is a close game, but Notre Dame's defense at home is ultimately what's going to be the difference. Uh, Let us know what your takes on our big three are. If you've got Washington or Oregon, Oregon State or UCLA, or who you've got winning at the jeweled shillelagh, But now let's move to our contenders. And this is the part of the TV schedule where you've got teams that are absolutely in the thick of their conference races. There are a number of very interesting games up and down the TV slate. Uh, We'll go chronologically in a moment, but the, the, the game that fell just outside of our big three, Garrett, and it may surprise folks, number 12, North Carolina, hosting number 15, Miami, 630 on ABC. Uh, UNC's defense has looked decent through the start of conference play. They've only allowed 31 points in their first two games. Miami should have won last week. Let's be honest, right? They lost that game. That was one of the stupidest decisions I've ever seen in the history of coaching by Mario Cristobal to not kneel that out. It came out afterwards. That's not even the first time he's lost a game like that. He lost a game to Stanford in 2018 when he was still at Oregon in the same fashion. So if you need something to, to point and say, Cristobal's not an elite coach. I give you exhibit A. UNC is three and a half point favorites. They're at home. They're hosting a Miami team that can score offensively, but has shown a little bit of an unreliability in the back end of their defense. They get interceptions, but when it comes to keeping the deep ball in check, they've struggled. 
can the Tar Heels defend home turf against a Miami team that should be embarrassed and ready to play? I think the answer is no. Um, currently, to this point in the season, Tyler Van Dyke has been the better quarterback. If you just look at the yes. you know, specifics, you look at the stats, you look at every single breakdown you can basically do, Tyler Van Dyke's just been better. He's completed 72% of his passes as opposed to uh, Drake May. He, he's a slight bit underneath where he is right here, 1,300 yards uh, right now. And then if you look at the touchdown numbers, 12 to 4 versus 8 to 4, that's touchdowns and interceptions. Not not great, right? The, Drake May's taken a little bit of a step back. Now, I do think that this last performance he put up uh, in their previous game, I think, is going to help him get back on track. I think he's, you know, airing it out a little bit better. I think he was able to kind of just take the chain off a little bit. And so I do think Drake May will get a little bit better. But up to this point, Tyler Van Dyke's been the better quarterback. So you, you tell me you got the better quarterback, you're on the road. And look, Miami's had the, what is it? I'm finding the numbers. 13 ranked passing or sorry, 13 ranked scoring offense and the 12th ranked scoring defense. This is an overall very good team for the Miami Hurricanes. They, they've played some solid teams in their schedule. They've played them extremely well. And, and if it wasn't for the fact that they didn't want to play to the very end of the game this last time, they'd still have an undefeated record. I have no idea yeah. why they decided to keep playing. Uh, you know, they, I, I don't know if they're going for an over or like just trying to cover or something. I don't know what the situation was exactly, but look, they, they could have just melted down and they'd still be undefeated. Probably that, you know, top 10 approaching top five status if they were at that point. So yeah, they're, they're, they're a really good team. I think they're still a really good team. I'm not going to, you know, lean into the trends here. I'm not going to lean into the home field. I'm going to lean into what I've seen. Um, and what I've seen is Miami's the better team. So I'm going to pick them to win this one. Uh, I'm going to pick them, obviously, plus the three and a half if I'm going to pick them to win this one. I'm going to pick them to win this one. And by a fairly comfortable margin, this is going to be, I think, a pissed-off Miami team that's done being clowned for the week, and I think they're going to get some of this back. This is the 11th-ranked passing attack for the Tar Heels against the 44th-ranked pass defense. Again, you know, basically, if you're inside the top 50 in statistical categories, you're a very, very good team. Miami has six interceptions. You talked about that. Cam Kitchens has come back from injury. He's healthy. What I wonder about is smarting from a loss like we saw last week. Is there a point where Miami is almost too ready to go for this game? Are they too hyped? And when Drake May throws that first deep touchdown, is it like letting all the air out of the balloon? If Miami's going to win this game, to me, they're going to have to punch North Carolina in the mouth, and they're going to have to do it early. They're going to have to establish their dominance, a more physical nature on the road early on. That offensive line is going to be hard-pressed defending Tyler Van Dyke. They held up in their biggest game of the season so far against Texas A&M. We've seen what the Aggie defensive line has done since leaving uh, Miami in, in, in humbling fashion. Now, a lot of that has been, I think, defensive adjustments, more blitzes. Almost none of that existed when AM played Miami. But still, that offensive line, even though they're young, has looked decent this season. North Carolina has been getting after the quarterback. North Carolina's defensive front has been vastly improved this season. And I'm really curious to see if Miami can get off the schneid, if they can finally take the reins and compete for a conference title in the ACC. I think Miami could be the better team, but North Carolina is at home. And if you're sensing a theme in this episode from me, 
I like the home teams this week quite a bit. North Carolina with the better offense overall. They've got Tez Walker, who uh, our friend Liam Blutman is expecting a massive game from. They got him back from uh, eligibility or ineligibility, I guess, a week ago. I think North Carolina makes a statement offensively in this game. I'll take the Tar Heels minus the three and a half until Mario Cristobal can do it consistently and and stops making really bad coaching decisions. I'm going to kind of fade the Hurricanes. So I'll take North Carolina in this one. Uh, Let's stay in the ACC. Number four, Florida State. They're almost 18-point favorites against Syracuse, 11 a.m. on ABC. Uh, You have been very anti-Syracuse over the last couple of weeks. You have very definitively answered the question, no, Syracuse is not good at football. Florida State's been a little flat, though, in the past couple of weeks. Does Syracuse hang around in this game, or does the Knowles take care of business at home? Uh, Just to be clear, I'm not necessarily anti-Syracuse as long as we have the right expectations. I think Syracuse was getting some outsized expectations and they're, you know, maybe getting a little big for the britches in terms of the way people were thinking about them. Syracuse is not a good team. All right. They're not terrible. They're not garbage, but they're not a good team. They're not a fantastic football team. They're not going to go out there and really compete and beat some teams like this. And they're not going to hang around with Florida state. Florida state is going to take care of business. They they've, you know, I've said this with these elite type teams, you get your one bad game. Well, Florida State has exhausted their bad game, right? They have to keep going. They have to keep, you know, putting up good efforts. I think they found something with the run game last week as well. They hadn't been necessarily as good on the ground as I expect them to be. And then Trey Benson breaks out and has a big game. So I'm thinking they keep it, you know, rolling on the ground. Let's, you know, keep things going for Travis and co. And uh, I'm going to pick Florida State minus the 17 and a half. It's a big number, but I think they're going to be just fine. Make a little bit of a statement and establish themselves as one of those top four teams in the country. Yeah, Trey Benson breaking out last week was a godsend for Florida State, mm-hmm. who had not run the football well at all the Needed first part it. of the season. It, it had been Jordan Travis or bust. Getting a more balanced attack, letting Benson show off his legs, do what he does best, is a huge win for the Knowles. Uh, I think Syracuse will get some stops on defense, but the offense has just made me scratch my head. I, I've talked about their play calling the last couple of weeks against Clemson a week ago. It was just brutal. Uh, and I don't know that Garrett Schrader's the the quarterback that I want leading my team against a, a Florida State team that's going to air it out, that hopefully will gash you in the running game. We've all been very high on Florida State. This is a this is an opponent you need to put away. You need to win by 20 um, against the Syracuse team. It is a big number. I'm going to say Florida State gets there just because I don't believe in the Oranges' offense. If it's just a defensive yeah. game, I'll take them, but you got to score some points. Florida State will. Can Syracuse answer? I'm going to lean the number four team in the country here. Uh, let's go down the eastern seaboard to Rocky Top. You've got number 19, Tennessee, hosting Texas A&M, 2.30 p.m. on CBS. The Aggies nearly upset the tide a week ago, but once again, another opportunity missed by this A&M squad. Texas A&M has lost their last seven true road games Meanwhile, Tennessee is off a bye week and has the fourth longest home winning uh, schedule in the country. Tennessee runs the football, right? And that's what Texas A&M has stopped at a elite level this season. It's been in the passing game, 
that they've been extremely cattywampus with. In fact, when you look at efficiency numbers, despite Texas A&M being towards the very top of the country, I believe top three in the country in total sacks and run defense, a top 25 unit in run defense, they were eighth in the SEC in efficiency last week because they gave up 330 yards through the air, only forced one turnover. Does that home winning streak for Tennessee come to an end, or are those in orange going to be singing Rocky Top late into the night? Uh, it's probably going to be a great time for Rocky Top. I'm just going to be honest. That Look, AM, you kind of mentioned it off the top. They only give up 84 yards on the ground per game but Tennessee is running it for 230 yards a game. That, that's almost as much as they're passing. They're passing for 235 a game. Now, you can't tell me that either quarterback in this matchup is very good. Um, I, I think, you know, Joe Milton, for all that he was hyped up to be, is a cannon of an arm and nothing more. Um, he can throw the ball a mile, and, you know, they, he's not necessarily very good in the pocket. Didn't stop Joe Milton last week. I just don't think Tennessee's trotting anybody out there that looks anything like what Alabama had on the field. Um, and then, you know, Max Johnson, he's fine. He's serviceable. I don't think he processes the game quick enough to keep up with whatever this offense is at Texas A&M. Um, we sure thought it was going to be better with Petrino, and maybe it's still just a little complex. Maybe there's still just too much reading to do um, of, of the defense, and, and Max can't quite keep up with it. So uh, I'm I'm not necessarily trusting either of these quarterbacks in this game, and so I look at this and I say something's got to give. Who's going to run the ball better? Who's going to be able to you know keep things in the manageable downs? Who's going to keep things you know kind of regular and, and on schedule for their offenses? I think it's going to be Tennessee. I think a will get some stops. I think they'll find ways to to get off the field. I think there'll be some drives that stall out. Definitely hammering the under in this one, but I do think Tennessee comes out on top you know, kind of a 24 to 13 type of game. Just don't think there'll be a whole lot of points scored in this one. Um, and I don't think that a and is going to have a lot of success offensively uh, in this one. They could prove me wrong. They have the offense to do it. They have the skilled players to do it. I just don't think they have the quarterback to get it done right now. You had a chance to take take the SEC West uh, by the horns and, and control your destiny but you only managed 20 points at home. I'm very inclined to, to agree with you. I think the under is probably the side to be on. AM is great defensively at everything but defending the pass. Tennessee is really, really solid, if not great, at defending just about everything. They've got a top 25 passing, uh, passing defense. They've got a top 35, I believe, rush defense. They don't give up a lot of sacks on their offensive line. And like you mentioned, they run for over 200 yards a game. At home, once again, I feel like Tennessee should be in the driver's seat in this game. A&M just doesn't have that X factor offensively with Connor Wegman out. They don't have that spark unless their running game is able to reel off 200 yards themselves. For me to to think that I can confidently say A&M wins this game. I think A&M at their best is the better football team, but it's a coin flip. Do you know if you're going to get that? The fact that Jimbo Fisher has not beaten a ranked team on the road since 2016, since before he even came to Texas A&M is really, really concerning to me. Tennessee is the more complete unit at home. Like I said, I'm going to take Texas A&M to cover this. I think they lose by three, but I will take Tennessee to win the game, which, you know, if you've been a loyal listener, you know, that hurts both of us. Uh, to pick against the Ags, but 
uh, we call it like we see it. Uh, there is yep. no homerism here. Um, Texas A&M is going to have to go out and prove folks wrong if they win this weekend. And just to be clear, I think on the offensive side of the football for Texas A&M, they are massively suffering from a too many cooks in the kitchen situation. They have four former offensive coordinators and head coaches in that staff in the offensive meeting room. That's too many people. I'm sorry. There's just too many voices. You know, you think that would all come together, but something's not working. Um, it worked when you had a, you know, elite quarterback talent. You know, when Connor Wigman was in there, that's an elite quarterback talent that you can take care of business with. I, I just, you don't have that right now with Max Johnson. You just don't have anything that looks like that uh, coming out on the field. And, you know, if you don't have that, your offense ain't going to work. Offensive line's been dreadful for Texas A&M been as well. Bad. They got, they got whipped really in the second half last week. Um, Tennessee, I think, will we'll take advantage of that. Uh, two other games to look at. Actually, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's look at Kansas and Oklahoma State. Now, you are loving the Jayhawks in this matchup. A 23rd-ranked uh, Kansas team coming into Stillwater who just beat Kansas State a week ago. So they're trying to complete the Sunflower Sweep. Oklahoma State got a little bit of offense, but really it was their defense just destroyed Will Howard. Kansas State never got on schedule. Kansas is coming in with a backup quarterback and Jason Bean. It doesn't look like Jalen Daniels will be ready to go. Is that enough to dissuade you from picking the Jayhawks to cover this number in a hostile road environment, 2.30 p.m. on FS1? Nope, not enough to dissuade me. Uh, because, you know, even though Jason Bean, you know, he's he's not what Jalen Daniels is. He's he's not that guy. I would like to introduce you to the pair of 1,000-yard, not independently, together they've reached 1,000 yards, running backs in Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw Jr. They are fantastic. They have 593 and 413, respectively. Both of them right around that 7 yards per carry mark. Daniel Hyshaw at 6.9, uh, Devin Neal 7.7. Devin Neal, also a pretty big threat out of the backfield. 14 catches for 169 yards. Between the two of them, they got 13 touchdowns. Um, I'm I'm really excited about what these two backs bring to the field. And and if you give me those two backs against most teams, that's going to work just fine. You have running backs that are elite that can, you know, swap out for each other. High shot, a little bit more of a, a, you know, kind of ground and pound type of running back. Real physical guy. Not that he doesn't have any top end speed, but real physical guy. Um, I'm, I'm loving what the Jayhawks are bringing into this one, Mitch, Oklahoma state just doesn't score. They got the 99th ranked scoring offense this year. That's not going to get it done. Not against Kansas. This Kansas team has looked really, really good. Um, outside of the slip up against Texas, which again, on the road, backup quarterback. I know they got the backup quarterback this week. I get it. Okay. They're on the road. I'm just saying Oklahoma state is not Texas. They're not even close to what Texas is bringing. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a great day for Kansas fans. Uh, and again, Oklahoma State, no hate over here. Okay, my sister, she's a cowpoke. Okay, so I get it. But uh, you know, just gotta again calling it like I'm seeing it here. I'm picking the Jayhawks minus three and a half. I think it'll be a nice day uh, to be a Kansas Jayhawk. I'm gonna roll with Kansas as well. Um, I just like you said, I don't know if Oklahoma State can score uh, at a high enough clip. To, you know, Jason Bean's not a bad quarterback. He's not he's not Jalen Daniels. He doesn't have the highest ceiling, but I think he has the higher floor. And uh, Oklahoma State, you know, one, one week to me does not change the whole narrative. Before that game against Kansas State, we, we thought they were dead in the water. We didn't even know if they were going to make a bowl game with how badly they'd played. 
Um, you know, you, you have to expect a, a great home performance every once in a while from the Pokes. Typically, that's what you come to expect week in and week out. So I wasn't shocked that they won last week, but I'll roll with Kansas to win this one. Slim margin. I'll take them by a touchdown in this one. Uh, number 19, Washington State. They're eight-point favorites against the Arizona Wildcats, a plucky Arizona team that nearly knocked off USC in triple overtime last weekend. This is a 6 p.m. kick on the Pac-12 network. That's a big number for Washington State, who Cam Ward didn't even throw for 200 points, or 200 points, 200 yards in the loss yeah, against what a, UCLA. Yeah, man, not throwing for 200 points. <laughs> <laughs> um. Listen, Arizona statistically, I don't know that they're going to wow you, but this is a road game in Tucson. It's a weird place to play. It's a top 50 pass defense for the Wildcats. I think I'm going to lean into that and say Arizona covers the spread. Washington State wins, but give me the 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 bear down folks to keep it close. Yeah, Mitch, I'm right there with you. I'm going to take Arizona to cover this one. I'm I'm sneaky on the Arizona train on this one. I think they might have a chance of pulling this one off. Almost pulled it off against USC, really knew how to play that game. And I don't think, obviously, Washington State has the same kind of offense that USC has. They're similar styles. I don't think that Washington State runs the football as well as USC does, and they certainly don't have the better quarterback of the two. And Arizona, a little sneaky good out there. Tetro McMillan, Jacob Cowing looking pretty good out wide for them. Uh, you know, they're they're a pretty plucky team there, Arizona. So I, I don't think this is an easy out at all. Um, the, I, man, look, it's a little bit of a heartbreaker. You can sometimes come off of one of those in a letdown spot if you're Arizona, right? You go to three overtimes. You pick a interesting play call for your two-point conversion there after USC converts. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that they, they're going to take care of business. And I'm going to put Washington State on a little bit of an upset alert here. I think that they could be looking at another loss here in Arizona. On one hand, I think that Arizona can get after Cam Ward. They're a top 20 team in sacks in the country. On the other hand, they're one of the worst teams in turnover margin in the nation. They are uh, 125, something like that. I mean, they are they are bad. Uh, they're yeah. minus five in the turnover differential. I think that might come back to bite them and keep them from winning this game. But uh, I do like Arizona to keep things close. So I'll take them uh, plus the points. Two SEC games before we jump into our group of five slate. We've got number 22, LSU hosting Auburn. They're 11-point favorites, 6 p.m. on ESPN. We've also got number 24, Kentucky. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites against Missouri, who pushed LSU to the brink. That's on uh, SEC Network at 6.30. Which of these two games are you more invested in and why? Uh, it's got to be Kentucky-Mizzou, right? I mean, that's, the I think, the two better teams uh, right now. I mean, obviously LSU beating Mizzou, uh, big thing there, but I, I just think if you look at the, the better matchup, this is going to be your better matchup here, right? Kentucky, not keeping it close against Georgia, looking to bounce back. Um, and then Mizzou kind of loses a bit of a heartbreaker at home to LSU. They're going to welcome them in. I think that's a big spot. I, I don't think there's a lot of ways you can tell where these teams, you know, headspace is going to be, you know, is Kentucky real beat down? Is it going to be kind of a, a, you know, Georgia effect type of game for Kentucky or, are they going to be looking, you know, real hard, real intense and come with that same intensity versus Mizzou? Again, the Luther Burton story continues. He's going to be amazing. Uh, you know, I, I'm inclined to pick Mizzou to win this game, uh, even though I know that Kentucky is the favorite team here. I think Kentucky might be the better team overall. I just don't like the spot for Kentucky. 
Um, and so I don't like where they're coming into this game with, right? It's the intangible stuff off the field. Um, I, I pick Mizzou to win this one in a little bit of a bounce back spot. Uh, LSU Auburn, talking about it, I guess, kind of quickly. Um, I just think LSU is going to score a whole bunch of points. They needed to get right. They did it against Mizzou last week, and, and I think they're going to keep that going. Auburn can't score points. They don't have anyone who's very good on offense. Uh, they can kind of run it, and I know that LSU doesn't have a defense. I, I just don't think that this goes very well for Auburn. I think LSU is going to score a whole bunch of points, come out there, smack them in the face, uh, maybe take advantage of some turnovers and you know do what they have to do to win this game by a whole bunch of points. Yeah, I think LSU minus the points is a fairly safe bet. If if Auburn could move the ball through the air, I would say that this might be closer than mm-hmm. what you would initially think, but they can't. Uh, War Eagle can't. has just been abysmal throwing the football this season. Uh, so, yeah, LSU, we know they're going to score points. Auburn's defense looked great against Georgia. I'll give you that. But Jaden Daniels has been a Heisman-caliber quarterback for the Tigers. It's just been overshadowed, I feel like, by the fact that their defense has been so bad. Auburn's going to have to move the ball on the ground. That's the only way that I see them keeping this close. But I think Jaden Daniels and the Tigers, Malink neighbors <clears throat> going downfield, outscore Auburn. Again, that's at home for the Tigers. So I'll lean with LSU there. Uh, this this may really come back to bite me. I'm going to take Kentucky to win and cover outright. Right. Uh, Kentucky... If you look at their past defense from just a yardage standpoint, they are 104th in the country, and you go, wow, why on earth would you pick Kentucky against a Missouri team that wants to throw the ball? Uh, Brady Cook has looked very, very good this season. Luther Burden, who's going to stop him? And I don't know that that Kentucky has an answer for either of those. Carson Beck crushed Kentucky a week ago. But all of that said, Kentucky's scoring defense, which was a top 20 unit, I believe, going into the game last week, after getting boat raced, fell down to 45th. Now, the knee-jerk reaction is Kentucky just got destroyed. Missouri scores a lot of points. So, of course, Missouri should win this game. But again, at home, I'm picking Kentucky's defense to find some way to bounce back, whether it's affecting the quarterback, whether it's getting turnovers. I don't know exactly how they're going to do it. Kentucky's offense and Ray Davis was held to a pathetic total last week, 55 yards. Missouri's not going to be able to do that this week. I think Kentucky takes the air out of the football a little bit. They've got to have some sort of bounce back team. I don't think Kentucky is a total fraud. I think Devin Leary kind of is. In this offense with him and Liam Cohen, I thought it was going to work. I thought it was going to be explosive. I thought Kentucky was going to have a new dynamic to that offense. It's not really been the case so far this season. But again, this is this is my home field Saturday, if you will. I'm taking the home team to beat the Tigers. I may be the only person in America on Kentucky, and that's just fine. Uh, given my track record, picking outright winners has been decent. If I'm picking them in the ledger, fade me. So you know, <laughs> do, do with that what you will. Let's go to the group of five storylines. Uh Now, first, you have to lead off with Coastal Carolina upsetting Appalachian State last night as we're recording this, the Tuesday night Sunbelt action. Kid Brewer Stadium was rocking. It was an amazing atmosphere. And yet, Coastal Carolina marched in in a rivalry game. They take down App State. I believe it was 27-24. App State was six-point favorites. I, I nearly took App State in the ledger because I was so confident that Nate Noel would be able to run the football. They didn't use him hardly at all last night. And App State could not move the football effectively against Coastal Carolina. 
So even though Jamie Chadwell is gone, the triple option, that hybrid has kind of been butchered this year. Uh, Grace McCall found a way to get it done. So congratulations to Coastal Carolina. Garrett, for me, though, my eyes in the group of five realm are on James Madison versus Georgia, Georgia Southern, a, a battle of Sunbelt Titans, 11 a.m. ESPN2. The Dukes are three-and-a-half-point favorites. I have a really hard time picking against James Madison. They've just been really, really solid since they joined the FBS. Yeah, they've been amazing. I mean, it's been awesome to watch them ascend and be a really, really good team. It's been a lot of fun to watch. They're not very good against the pass, so I'm maybe a little bit nervous about this one. Davis Brand for Georgia Southern has been a quietly kind of solid quarterback, 70%, uh, 70% completions. Uh, he's got 1,600 yards. Throws a lot of picks. He's got you know 12 touchdowns to seven picks. So he does throw some picks, but might carve him up a little bit, might move the ball a little bit against him. Nevertheless, give me James Madison minus three and a half. I'm going to pick him to win this one. Um, I, I just, I don't want to pick against the story. You know, James Madison's yep. just been such a good story. I'm not going to pick against him here. I'm right there with you. Give me the Dukes, uh, as they continue to ascend the ranks of the college football world. And next year when they can be in the postseason, I can't wait to see if they can respond to that challenge. They should have won the East in the Sun Belt last season. Certainly seems like they are, uh, you know, well on their way to, Hanging a ghost banner once again, uh, thanks to that NCAA rule. Uh, Memphis at Tulane. Now, this is an interesting game in the American. SMU has been a disappointment. UTSA has been a disappointment. When we talked with Joseph Hoyt, then of the Dallas Morning News, now I believe he's with Lone Star, um, he highlighted SMU at Memphis as a pivotal game. When we were talking, we assumed it would be in terms of, hey, can SMU overcome this hurdle, be in a great position to go to a New Year's Six Bowl as the Group of Five representative? That doesn't seem like it's on very good ground, but Memphis still has been a decent team this year. And yet, Memphis at Tulane, minus the three and a half. Tulane has had a decent defense this season. They held Ole Miss in check. I think I'm going to ride with the green wave. Yeah, more than decent. They've been a really solid defense. Um, and that's against, you know, like you were saying, Ole Miss, some teams that can really score the ball, and they've still found their way to hold their own. Um, look, Seth Hennigan's doing great things at Memphis. I think he's a he's a good quarterback. Um, I'm just – I'm not there with Memphis. I, I don't think that they have it on defense. I don't think they're going to be able to um, – they're not going to be able to stop too much that Tulane does. And so not – not going to pick Memphis in this one. I like what they're doing. I still think they're going to be plenty competitive, but I'm going to stick with Tulane. Just love love what the Wave's doing right now. At Tulane, a, a 21st overall defense. Memphis does have the 31st, uh, 34th excuse me, uh, best offense as far as total yardage. Yeah, defense at home. That's that's my, yeah. my model. We're going to ride with that once again. Uh, Liberty blew out Jacksonville State. That was kind of the first real, whoa, Okay, gut check, reality check moment uh, for the Gamecocks. Liberty continues to cruise along. They certainly look like the Conference USA champs to this point. Um, curious to see how that continues to evolve. Maybe Liberty has a chance to get into a New Year's Six game. They're going to have to outrace Air Force or Wyoming, uh, which is the our final game of the night to talk about. Air Force minus 11, hosting Wyoming Cowboys have had a lot of magic, but Garrett, they're away from Laramie. 
and uh, Air Force has been borderline unstoppable on offense. Yeah, if this game was being played in Wyoming, I'd feel great about it. Um, but honestly, I don't know what I'm more impressed with. I'm checking the Air Force, and I always love doing this with Air Force, checking the Air Force passing stats. I don't know if it's more impressive that they've attempted 19 passes on the year or that they've thrown for 410 yards in that. Sure, That's, that's a kind of awesome number for 19 attempts. Uh, that's good for a 307 rating, by the way. So, you know, pretty elite <laughs> numbers there um, for that quarterback. But um, look, Air Force has looked really unstoppable. I'm more impressed with their defense, the eighth-ranked scoring defense right now in the country. Fantastic for them. I'm going to pick Air Force in this game. I don't think they cover. I don't think they have the offense right now to cover the minus 11. I think Wyoming will make it respectable. But I am going to pick Air Force to cover, or to not cover, but to win this one by a touchdown or so. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm wearing a camo hat. We're going to salute the troops in this one. Air Force wins at home. They cover the number. The defense is elite. Wyoming, if they were defending the pass, actually has a top passing defense in the country, certainly in the group of five. But as you mentioned, Air Force, they move the ball, obviously on the ground, extremely efficient when they do choose to put it up in the air, but that's not their game plan. I think Air Force's strength is not Wyoming's strength on defense. Going to check that stat just real fast to make sure I'm not uh, misreading my notes. Yeah, uh, Wyoming has not a bad rushing defense, uh, 141 yards a game, but not to the level where I think you're going to be able to stop Air Force. Again, game planning for a, a military academy in the middle of the season is just so difficult. Combine the yeah. fact with you're going on the road, uh, and I like Air Force minus the points here. Week seven. It's going to be a fun one. This week defines so many playoff legacies, so many chances for teams, especially like we mentioned, out west with the Pac-12, with some of these group of five matchups in Wyoming and Air Force, who's going to be the Mountain West favorite coming out. It should be a dandy of a weekend. As I mentioned, if you have to get away from your TV, do it in the morning. You've got a lot of great games going on in the afternoon and the evening. Um, any any final thoughts here as we wrap up on, on week seven? We're, we're over the halfway point. How about that? I'm just really excited how much good football will be played outside of the SEC and the Big Ten. Obviously, there'll be some good games in those conferences. There's always great games happening in those conferences. I'm just really excited that we're getting great football outside of those two conferences because, you know, taking it to the more broad landscape, it's just going to give us more things to sell when we're trying to say it doesn't have to be two super conferences, right? And I know that, you know, all these teams are going to be in one of those super conferences next year, but still, it's it's fun to appreciate while we have it. I'll agree with that. No, No doubt about it. All right, well, for those of you that are new to the show, please like and subscribe. Give us a rating as well. It really helps the podcast continue to grow. Subscribe over on our YouTube channel at 3TechPod and uh, leave us your thoughts below in the comments. We love interacting with you. We'll see you, of course, Saturday night for the recap show. We're looking forward to breaking all of this down, getting you ready for week eight as well. For Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for hanging with us. Until next time, So long, everybody. Gracious, how about that?